Welcome to the Sharpening Strength Podcast, a show designed by men for men looking to get strong, feel confident, and live a high-performing life. Every week, we will have a featured guest who will share valuable information and experience to give you actionable strategies you can apply to level up your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We will draw on our guest's knowledge and experience, but more importantly, we'll discuss how this applies to the common challenges and struggles of being a man in today's world. Our goal is to not only build strong men physically, but to help coach and develop strong friends, sons, brothers, fathers, business owners, and professionals in every area of your life. I'm your host, Dr. Dave Paczkowski, proud husband, business owner, physical therapist, and strength coach with a passion for helping other men level up their lives. Wherever you're at in your journey, I'm excited to have you here with us today. Now let's dive into today's episode of the Sharpening Strength Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to episode number four of the Sharpening Strength Podcast. Today we are talking about programming for golf performance and longevity with Dr. Kevin O'Connor, the owner of Impact Physical Therapy. He's a doctor of physical therapy and a golf performance specialist. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about being an athlete first and a golfer second as it relates to performing at a high level for a long period of time. We talk about foundational training over sports-specific training and how too many people default to sports-specific training before mastering those foundational principles. We talk about the importance of progressions of exercise and the form, doing them correctly before progressing too fast. We talk about developing a team approach when you're looking to sustain a high level of performance for the long term. And we also get into many common golf injuries and what to do about them. So about Kevin O'Connor, he started Impact Physical Therapy and Performance in 2018. He graduated with his Doctorate of Physical Therapy degree from Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 2015. He received his undergraduate degree from the University of California, Irvine in 2011 while competing on the NCAA Division I men's soccer team. Kevin has a background in sports performance as a certified strength and conditioning specialist through the NSCA and has a particular interest in treating sports and orthopedic injuries in athletes of all ages. Kevin is board certified under the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties as an orthopedic clinical specialist. Kevin has had the pleasure of being able to work with professional athletes in the PGA, MLB, MLS, USL, and NFL. Kevin is also Titleist Performance Institute certified medical level three and junior level two provider and has expertise in helping golfers play the game they love pain-free. Kevin's interest in golf spiked when he finished physical therapy school and was able to start spending time to improve his game. He feels rewarded when he's able to find functional limitations in his clients that may be contributing to pain with their golf swing. He desires to promote health, wellness, and injury prevention with his clients in coaching them on their road to recovery and an enhanced physical lifestyle. Guys, I'm really excited for this one. Let's get started. Kevin, welcome to the Sharpening Strength Podcast, man. So stoked to have you on here. Thanks for coming on for today's episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've, uh, I've been excited about this one, so it'll be fun. Yeah, no, it's going to be a good time. So let's, uh, let's kick things off today by having you give listeners an overview of your story, both personally and professionally to give them an idea of your background. Yeah. So, um, I grew up in Orange County, California, or about an hour North of, of where you guys are at. Um, I grew up playing most sports and ended up, um, diving into soccer and baseball, um, kind of a weird combination. Not too many people play those two sports together, but I played both through high school and then uh, went on to play um, soccer in college at UC Irvine locally here. Um, and then while I was playing there, I actually got injured my second year and, you know, I was diagnosed with a, with a patellar contusion and then actually found out later it was my ACL. So I, I was misdiagnosed. Um, I had to stop playing soccer and um, my dad's actually a PT. So as I was doing rehab with him, I kind of just fell in love with, with, the whole scene of physical therapy and, and working with athletes and, and things like that and, and experiencing it firsthand. So, um, after my rehab, I actually started working at the clinic as, um, as an aide. And then that led me to apply to PT school. And I ended up in Florida for PT school at, at Nova Southeastern university. And, um, that's where I met, met my wife. So she's a physical therapist as well. And she's actually from New York. So, um, 
we ended up coming back here to California together. Um, we both worked in a kind of busy outpatient setting for a while. Um, same company, but different locations and then ended up kind of breaking off on my own as, as I think most of us have. Um, and that was about a year and a half ago. So within the last couple of months, my wife started to kind of transition into our practice. And the goal is to get her kind of fully immersed as we move forward. So um, a little bit more about my, my past in high school, um, you know, a training program for a baseball team and a soccer team look very different. You know, um, actually in high school, they're, they're not even, they weren't even really doing weight training for soccer, but um, in baseball, I was always at the top when we did anything conditioning, right? But then when we were in the weight room, I was kind of near the bottom. So, um, but then when I got to college and got in the weight room for soccer, I was near the top again because of the training experience that I had with baseball. So that was kind of a unique experience I had. And uh, then, you know, after college, before PT school, I ended up getting my uh, CSCS and worked as a performance coach for youth athletes. So that experience kind of really shaped the kind of PT that I wanted to be and, you know, bridging this gap between the end of traditional physical therapy and, and performance-based training. So, and I think, you know, that's probably similar to, to your story as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and for those that don't know as much of, so for those that picture traditional physical therapy clinic as uh, basic exercises, using some TheraBands, doing uh, simple, maybe bodyweight exercises, throwing some ice on it, throwing some uh, modalities, some ultrasound, more of that traditional bigger clinic insurance setting. What does is, what is performance physical therapy look like and specifically in your practice with the people you're working with? Yeah, you know, when we were first starting out getting the equipment, you know, the things that we bought were kettlebells and hex bars and bumper plates and not so much, you know, the, the TheraBand and the ultrasound machine and the stim machine. So kind of think more like a, like a gym versus an actual rehabilitation clinic, you know? Yeah, that's, that's spot on. I think people shouldn't be able to necessarily tell by walking into it. They should, they should be like, Oh, this looks like a cool gym, but it's the, it's the use of it. And it's, it's not that it should differ in, the movements we're doing or those things. It's just the, the intensity or the, the modifications that are needed to, to work around some of those injuries. And then, uh, once you give listeners to seeing, we will be talking on some golf stuff. I know you're, uh, kind of your bread and butter. How, how did golf enter the scene from, so you have the soccer, the baseball background was golf always a part of your, your life or is that after, after sports? I was always, kind of involved in golf, but, um, I didn't really get serious into it until after PT school, you know, it's not the least expensive sport out there. So, um, during, during school, it wasn't always easy to play, but, um, actually working in that in Southern California in that busy outpatient clinic, I worked with all kinds of athletes and, um, I kind of just started working with a lot of golfers kind of based on our location. And I really enjoyed it. You know, they're, Golfers, I always say, are an interesting breed and, um, you know, they're always getting hurt. They really want to get better and they'll do anything to get better and continue to play. So that kind of led me to pursuing some more certifications and, and education in, in golf, specifically with the Titles Performance Institute, which is done by you guys. And um, that, that kind of is what led me down the golf niche, you know. Yeah. Golf, golf, not a, not a cheap sport. I remember in PT school, we would go to this, I forget what the cost of the driving range was, but there was one right by the PT campus that was just dirt cheap and the quality maybe reflected it, but just uh, any place we can go to, to hit some balls, but don't mistake me for a, for a golf expert by any means. Kevin's Kevin's seen me swing and knows it's uh it can use a little work. I'll have to, I'll have to go work with him. Uh, and, and I want to transition into some of that a little more though, because I think people think, I mean, you look at golf from the outside and it's people think don't have to be very athletic. I think people, uh, downplay the importance of being physically prepared for that. Cause if we look at the differences maybe of golf versus soccer, it's, it's going to look a lot different. You see a soccer athlete, you're going to picture that they're going to be someone in shape, someone healthy and fit. You picture a golfer. If you really picture that, that's probably not the first thing that, that pops in your mind, but uh, I think we both know golf needs to have some of that. And that's what I want to dive into here a little bit. 
because you have a ton of experience helping golfers and other rotational athletes achieve these high levels of performance and stay pain-free and healthy for, for the long term. So what would you say is the number one problem in a golfer's physical preparedness for the sport as it relates to uh, some of these injuries and, and the performance as well? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, there's kind of two different populations. When you think of golfers, like people like professionals like Tiger and Brooks Kepka and those guys, they're, they're athletes, right? And I think the younger generation is starting to come up as an athlete first and not necessarily be a golfer first. But a lot of the amateurs that we work with, you know, the older adults, retired guys, um, I think their number one problem is just a lack of any physical preparation <laughs> whatsoever. Like they'll roll up to a course before their tea time, probably after sitting at a desk for six hours, and then they try to rotate at 90, 100 miles an hour. Um, so I think when you're when you're talking about that population, just giving them something that's specific to them, even if it's five minutes, you know, where they're doing two or three things besides hitting balls, two or three things to get their body ready, I think that's so beneficial for them. And what, what kind of, what kind of are some of the common things maybe that, and I know it's going to depend on the person. I think a, an assessment is the important first piece, but generally speaking, are there some common trends you see that people would benefit from hitting in the, in the warm up? Yeah. I mean, there's usually always a thoracic or a hip mobility drill, um, and usually both, but it's kind of interesting. Um, TPI did a study and, you know, there's, I think there's, so much focus on mobility with golfers, but they actually showed that a resistance program prior to playing led to increased driving distance over, over a mobility program did. Um, so that's kind of interesting. You don't really see too many people doing any resistance training before they go and play, but it, it has shown to, to show increased driving distance on the, on the course. And resistance training in terms of before, before going out and playing. Yeah. So, you know, not, not a heavy load type thing, but more of an activation type exercise with, with some bands or, you know, even lying on the ground, doing some bridges, something simple like that um, versus doing like a sideline thoracic rotation or something like that. That's interesting. I, I believe it though. And I'm sure we, from the experience we've seen in other areas where people come to us with years of back pain and they've feel like they need to be stretching and have always tried stretching and you give them, uh, some core stabilization type stuff and some, uh, some hip stabilization type stuff. And they leave feeling worlds of better without leaving a hand on them or even necessarily having to stretch what they feel as a, as a tight area, but might not be causing the problem itself. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Mobility definitely has its place. And I, I do a ton of mobility work with, with especially the, the older population that I see, you know, 50s, 60s, they, they were sitting at a desk for 25 years. There's probably some mobility restrictions somewhere in there, but, um, you know, once you gain that new mobility, what are you doing with it? You know, you need to get strong through those ranges too. Yeah. It's so well said. And we're not saying you have to choose between one or the other, but if you can do some targeted specific mobility work, and then it's that strength work that we say hits, hit save on the document and allows us to use those ranges more and actually be able to access them when, when we're playing in sport. Uh, one thing I want to circle back on too, when you're talking about the two types of golfers, you talked about the ones that come up as athletes and then the ones that maybe pick it up later in life. Would you say the, the people that are maybe on the, the younger side of things, looking to get into golf, the early age athletes, what's the sports specialization stuff you've seen in terms of is more golf creating better golfers or are better athletes creating better golfers? Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a good point. Um, you know, Titleist, um, they've done a lot of research on this in the, in the past several years and, um, they're really focusing on making the juniors athletes first and golf is not really a sport that you want to do early specialization in and having them play, a throwing or a hitting sport has shown to translate over really well. So something like baseball or quarterback in football or even tennis, um, they need to be able to run, jump, be athletic, you know, have good hand-eye coordination. So the people that are turning out to be better golfers were actually focusing on being a, a good athlete first and then 
developing into becoming a good golfer. Yeah, that's, that doesn't surprise me. And it's, it's interesting that I know we, it just doesn't make sense intuitively, but you look at things like the NFL draft and I don't, I don't look at it year to year, but I know at least one of the years, 31 out of 32 were multi-sport athletes and it's people aren't specializing in single sports, at least the ones that are actually achieving at a high level long-term, but how, and how would you say this would apply to, so then there's the older generation you talked about of people that have gotten into golf. They don't necessarily have an athletic background, but what would you say it would mean for them to be an athlete first before, before a golfer? What would it mean to them? Yeah. Like how would that, how would that look for them of, so someone hearing it, they're they're like, well, I'm not a kid anymore. So an athlete first, what's it like to train like an athlete first over a golfer, even at a later age? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's so much hype around the term like golf specific training. Right. And, um, you see people getting on a cable pulley machine and, and, and thinking that it's a golf club and, and creating their own like golf specific training program. Right. When really they don't have any kind of foundational strength, like can they do a squat? Can they deadlift even, you know, something like a bench press is important for golf. So before getting into these golf specific type training programs, what do they actually look like with just a foundational strength point of view, you know? And it's usually not great. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so true. So for most people, do you, is that where you're starting with people is foundational movements before getting into maybe some more of the specific type stuff? Yeah. But then explaining how this is going to translate into being a better golfer at the same time. Right. It's when you're speaking to a golfer, they, they don't really care unless it's going to help them play better golf, right. Or, or play longer or play without pain or something like that. So like, listen, you need to be able to do this before we can do it in a powerful position with speed. Right. So when you're talking about power, it's speed and strength. Well, before we go to speed, let's make sure that there's a foundational strength there. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Do you, what's the, I want to talk a little on the, the buy-in side of things too. Do you have a hard time getting people to buy into following a weight training program like that? Because I could see from a golfer's perspective of saying, I don't need to squat or I don't need to bench press or I don't want to get bulky or any of these things. Is there some resistance with it? And how do you, how do you kind of work through that? I think it, it really depends on the person. There's, there's um, the type of people that are going to do whatever it is they need to do, right? Whether, you know, they need a new driver, a new, a new hat, a new shoe, a new bag, or they need to lift weights. Like that person's going to buy in. Um, and then other people, it's, you know, showing that you can make a, a little bit of change goes a long way too. So, um, once you start developing some strength and they see the translation into their game, the buy-in is a lot better because they actually see the translation there. And then, you know, another thing that, that TPI has done really well is they've, they've come up with objective numbers, whether it's range of motion or a power assessment or something like that. And, you know, this is what we've seen the best golfers be able to do, whether it's a vertical jump or a seated med ball throw or your hip rotation range of motion, like all those things, they, they have that research there and they have the numbers. So, well, my, I feel like my rotation is pretty good. Well, okay, but it's not this. And this is what they've shown that it needs to be. So they've done a really nice job with that. That's cool. I'm sure golfers love the the gamification of some of that as well. I'm, I'm just kind of curious myself too. And for, for anyone listening, I don't want to put you on the spot if you don't have the numbers in front of you, but do you have a couple examples of what those numbers might be for someone listening? Yeah. So their, their, um, their basic power assessment is pretty cool. So it's a lower body, a core and an upper body power assessment. So the nice thing about it is all the numbers should be about the same. So it's, you know, the 18 to 22 vertical jump, um, inches, a seated med ball throw. So your back is against a chair and you're just, you're just tossing a ball as far as you can. Um, that and an overhead kind of crunch up and throw those two should be the same and they, they should all be around 18 to 22 and then, you know, if one's lacking, okay, well, let's go into your program and let's focus on, you know, your vertical jump because that's where you're not in the norms, if that makes sense. 
Totally. Yeah. So the, there should be some balance between lower body assessment, core and upper body. And if you find a weak link important to address the weak link first. Yep. Yep. Um, because you know, with, with golf, you're, you're starting everything from the ground up. So if your legs aren't strong, you're not going to be able to generate the force. Right. And then if you're, if you're weak in your core, you're not going to be able to translate that force through your arms, through the club to the ball. And then same thing with, with your upper body, it's all about kind of translating the force. And if one area is lacking, improving that area is going to be so much more efficient versus, you know, if their legs are already strong and you're doing a bunch of squats and deadlifts and things like that. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. It makes, it totally makes sense. But for those listening, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people coming to see you initially as we kind of transition a little bit in the programming side of things, I'm sure their programs don't reflect the same need for equally addressing lower body core and upper extremity. Do you see this to be a, a common imbalance in people's programs or, or what do people's programs even look like when they come to see you or do they even have programs when they come to see you? A lot of times um, their, their, their program might be a couple of exercises that they've been given by, you know, a, a, whether it's a personal trainer or a past PT or something like that. And, um, a lot of times they, they don't really even do them correctly. So, <laughs> um, but then there's, you know, there's another type of person that they've been following this program, you know, this virtual program that they've had. And then we really need to dive into, are you doing them correctly? When was the last time you were progressed and, and things like that? So it, it's, it's all over the board really. But, um, I would say, you know, especially in the, the population, like 35 to 60, most of them aren't aren't doing anything that's really beneficial towards them playing better golf. And probably lacking in objective measures too. Like some of those things you mentioned of they might be following a program blindly, but how do they know if it's really helping their game? Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, or they've been doing the same program for three months and it's like, well, you know, you're probably ready for some progressions at this point. And for, and I know some of the people listening will, will know the basics of progressions, regressions, some of those things, but can you speak on any kind of what progression means big picture? And for those listening of, of they've been following that person who's been following a program, the same program for three months, what those progressions would look like and why they're important. Yeah. I mean, um, like, a, let's, let's take a, a super common exercise that's programmed a lot. Um, a glute, a glute bridge, right? A double leg glute bridge. And I can't tell you how many people I run into that aren't doing them correctly where their, their hamstrings are taken over. Or they think that their lower back should be doing the lift. And so that's, that's number one right there. But the actual TPI screening part of the test is a single leg glute bridge. So, okay, you've been doing double leg for three months, but that really doesn't show me anything about your strength in the golf swing, we need to be able to do a single leg bridge. So, you know, progressing from a double to maybe doing like an eccentric single into a single leg bridge, that's really the progression to get towards having the foundational strength that you need that has been shown to translate into a better golf game. Yeah, it's, it's, that's really well, well said. And I think First, I like what you said, first, making sure people are performing it correctly, because you also have the other side of it that people progress too quickly through programs where they're like, okay, no, I got the double leg bridge down. But when we have them actually demonstrate it, are you actually using the right areas? Are you doing it in a way? And they might be able to hold the double leg bridge for two minutes, but they just feel their low back light up. That's a sign that we probably have to either find a different modification or likely teach you how to perform that movement correctly. Yeah. Like it happens. This happens just as frequently. Someone comes in and says, Oh yeah, I've been doing single leg bridges. I had this guy, he, he had a hip replacement and I can do 20 single leg bridges, like no problem. And well, they were for half the range of motion that he should have been doing them. And all he felt was his hamstring and his lower back on the same side. And it's like, well, in that case, you're regressing them. Right. And that can be tough too, because they're like, well, I've, I progressed all the way to being able to do 20 single leg bridges. It's like, well, this is how you should be doing them. We need to take a step back, do them correctly on two legs, and then get you progressing back towards, towards single leg. And, you know, this is just with something as simple as a bridge, right? Like 
forget about talking about squats or deadlifts or, <laughs> or things like that. This is something that can happen just with a bridge exercise. Yeah. And being able to, being able to have some humility if you're working with a, a coach or someone and, and to be able to have that, but from the coaching side of things, also being able to educate on why it's important of like, Hey, no, I, I acknowledge you've worked hard at getting to this point, but this is why we have to take a step back because this step back will allow you to eventually take X amount of steps forward versus trying to force through this progression that probably isn't getting you closer to actually improving your, your golf game. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, bringing up the fact that, well, yeah, you did progress to this point, but why are you stuck at that point? Why, why can you only do 20 single leg bridges, which is, you know, that's tough, but why haven't you progressed past that point? It's probably because there was a gap somewhere in there that you didn't get to that point correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Being able to, that's where tying in, I think some of the, the core component, the upper com body component, some of those other assessments you're taking people through can help piece together and, and some of the assessments you, you go through when, when you're working with someone, is it, uh, you're, you're, I'm guessing you're testing mobility and strength and some of these power outputs. And is that what you mean when you're saying putting the pieces together of where the, where the weak link is? Yeah, definitely. And you know, a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, all the time, the, the assessment is mostly focused towards their goals, right? So if, if they want more swing speed, you know, the assessment might be biased towards that a little bit, but there are some fundamental things that I do with, with every golfer that walks through regardless. And, you know, our evaluations are upwards of 90 minutes sometimes just because of all the different things that we go through. Um, because we do do a lot, um, the 3d motion capture of the golf swing itself too. So there, there's a lot of different things going into it. And whether, whether someone's coming to work with you, for performance so they're trying to improve swing speed or whether they're dealing with a nagging back injury is the is the starting point the same or, or what differs in those in those two populations of the the pain prevention side of things or injury injury prevention and then the performance side of things yeah i think with it's it's, it's a little bit different um and it, again it's biased towards their goal so someone that is there for performance training will probably be looking more into kind of what their current routine is and how we can improve that versus someone who's in pain. Then you're thinking more, um, more of like a, what you would think of in a typical physical therapy evaluation. But, um, in both populations, we are looking at how they swing their kinematic sequence efficiency, um, TPI screening and, or the power assessment, you know, whatever part of the TPI screen they need. And, um, so a lot of it looks the same, but there are differences in someone coming in for, for a performance type issue versus someone that's in pain. And we've, we've talked about routine a few times here already. What's a, so routine or, or exercise program, if you want to lump that into one thing, What's the, what are some of the differences you see between generic golf programs out there and being able to, so based on an assessment, we find these things and then giving someone an individualized routine, whether that be warm up, cool down exercise. What's the, what are some of the main differences in these more generic golf programs versus a specific one-on-one -on -one type thing? Yeah, I think, you know, this, this is kind of a, a big issue and, um, I think it's where models like like yours and mine are so beneficial is because we, act, we spend the time to find out what the actual cause of the issue is, you know, whether, whether that's lower back pain or whether that's, I, I hit the ball 20 yards farther than everyone else in my grade, like, okay, but why is that happening? And you can really only get down to that issue with spending time with the person. Right. And writing a program that's individualized to somebody is just going to be so much more efficient in helping them reach their goals versus a generic program. And, and the generic program may help, but it's probably going to take a lot longer and you're not going to get the same results with it. And I'm sure you see that same thing as well across, across other sports too. Yeah. The, the programming side of things to have, have something specific, that's where results really tend to soar. And a lot of the people we get to work with in the one-on-one -on -one format it's, it's so different person to person of what the needs are where some people might need a longer 
warm up and really hits them. If they have more mobility limitations, they might need to spend a little more time opening those up to even be able to access the strength for someone who's maybe more advanced, has the basic moving patterns, then it's tweaking some of the movements and being able to get a little more specific. But either way, person to person, it's going to vary so much on on needs, on where they're limited and not just guessing because we can we can mistake feeling a certain way, feeling like we need to stretch as I need to follow a stretching program when really you might just need one targeted thing to open up this area. And then instead of wasting three months spending doing on, on some generic things, which you can get done in two weeks on a, a specific program, I think is, is a, a really, really cool idea for people that are willing to get a little more specific on, on what they need. In terms of some of the specifics of programming, what's for, for a golfer's need, what's the, do you have any balance recommendations? So we talked core, lower, upper body. What about like concentric movements, isometric eccentric movements. Is there stuff that's required common patterns with, with the people you're working with specifically the rotational athlete? Yeah. Um, maybe not so much in terms of concentric eccentric, but in terms of rotational power and also anti-rotation, we talk about someone in a generic program. There's, there's usually always some type of rotational exercise in it, whether it's taking a pulley or, or throwing a med ball or something like that. And, um, I always kind of use the analogy, well, you have a Ferrari, but how are the brakes? Right. And so in the golf swing, there's a perfect kinematic sequence where your lower body and pelvis kind of starts the swing, then your core kind of takes over. And then that's translated into the upper body, which releases it to the club. And so those are the four segments that we look at with our, with our 3d motion capture. But when segment two is taking over for segment one, you really need to have anti-rotation strength for that second segment to be efficient in its transfer of energy. So anti-rotation is one of the biggest things that's kind of missing from a generic exercise program that, that we need to lump in with the, with the things that they're doing. Because again, like the brakes on a Ferrari, you can only go as fast as you can stop. It's like if your pelvis was a slingshot and your core is what you were pulling back, would you want that slingshot to be nice and still and firm, or would you like it to be continuing to transfer forward? Right. It's the first one. So that's, that's one of the biggest things that I see. And by anti-rotation, meaning doing something that is trying to pull you into rotation and having to resist the resist and control that something like a payoff press or something for those that are less familiar, any other common anti-rotation exercises you like to use? Payoff presses is, is usually a good place to start um, just because it is difficult for them in the beginning, even even not not doing necessarily a press yet, but just holding it in and having them kind of step out and, and get used to that resistance. That's, that's usually enough to start. And then, you know, progressing to the payoff press and all those variations from there and you know, then you can get into a split stance or a single leg stance and just kind of increase the demand on it. But, um, basically just using your body to resist a rotational force. And would you say that, uh, so would you say in, in terms of, as we talk anti-rotation, this is something that is missing from the majority of people's programs? Yeah, especially if it was a generic one that they've been using, like, you know, an online program that they found or something like that. You know, if you are working with someone who has worked with someone one-on-one in the past, they might at least know of the exercise, know the concept, but again, are they doing it correctly? But it's, it's, it's missing from a large majority of people that come, that come through the door, you know, if they're, if they're doing something already at that point, you know, um, Rotational strength is definitely important too, right? But they're usually doing that. It's just adding in the the anti-rotation aspect to to kind of maximize that. Cool. And I don't want to downplay the golf specific stuff too that we touched on earlier. Are you eventually taking people into golf specific? I know we've talked heavily on the foundational side of things, but where's that transition point? Is it an objective transition of they have this base level in an assessment and now we're getting into some more golf specific stuff 
or when do you start working more of that the golf specific side of things that we we said maybe people wouldn't benefit from starting in, but is it is it beneficial in a program still? Yeah, and I mean, a lot of things that are quote unquote golf specific are, you know, exercises that you would see in any program, right? Like a squat that is going to help you jump higher, right? Which is going to help you be able to create more force and more power in the swing. So a squat is golf specific, right? A bench press, um, you know, that's going to correlate with your upper body power and that's going to correlate with how well you can translate the force through the club to the ball. So I think golf specific, you think that it needs to look like a golf swing, but it really doesn't. (laughs) I mean, being able to explain how a foundational movement translates over to the swing I think that's how it becomes golf specific, right? Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think when we talk golf specific or CrossFit specific or insert anything, lifting my kid specific, it doesn't have to. So even taking an example, like lifting your own kid, if you have pain with doing that or trouble doing that, that doesn't mean you have to pick up a sandbag and only do, do that exercise. There's, there's plenty of other things. If it makes you better, at that activity, then in turn, it's specific to that activity. Yeah. I think, I think what makes it golf specific is knowing how it translates over to your performance on the course, right? Just like CrossFit specific, a CrossFit PT is going to know how this exercise is going to help you snatch better or something like that. Right. I think that's what makes it golf specific is knowing you know, like what to program and how it translates into your ability in whatever activity you're doing. I think that's what's makes it golf specific. And that's, it's true. Cause the, a lot of the, the CrossFitters that tend to work with are reaching out with maybe some nagging injuries, some overuse things. We analyze some things like their kip or their Olympic lifts, but they usually have if they have good coaching to begin with, those aren't the areas where they need help, but they do usually need some targeted accessory work that will help them if they're, uh, if in a squat, they're coming out of a squat or coming out of the hole in a Olympic lift and their hips are shooting up too early. Then we want to see maybe there's an imbalance between that and their quads. And how do we give them some targeted accessory work to help their quads? They've probably already tried doing the lift over and over again, hoping it gets better and that hasn't worked. So how do we take something apply it to where it is. And then that, like you said, becomes specific to the sport or whatever activity they're trying to get to. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're always going back to the movement that they're trying to accomplish. So, you know, in your example, if it's a squat, in my example, I, I, I do look at the golf swing and we, we, you know, we have technology where they're hooked up to Bluetooth sensors and everything. And, you know, it'll give us so much information on, you know, they're, they're throwing their hands too early and they're not using their lower body. And so parts of our evaluation are definitely golf specific, but I think that the programming part of it and the exercise prescription is not necessarily going to look so golf specific, but it's how, how are these exercises going to translate to your results? If we go back and did that, you know, 3d motion capture again. Is that, is that a tool you're using a lot with people, whether they're coming in for pain or performance? Are you watching everyone swing? Yeah, everyone everyone that golfs is going through that. So it's a pretty cool technology. It's it's called a K-Vest and there, there's four sensors on it. And one of the biggest things I use it for is, is to see if they are starting with their lower body and then their course taking over and then the arm and then the club and anyone that comes in, whether it's performance or, or pain PT, they're, they're getting on that thing just because it, it gives you so much information and, you know, you're talking one to three to five degrees of range of motion that, you know, at 90, hundred miles an hour, you're just, you're not going to see it with, with just your eye, you know? Yeah. And if you have access to that technology, that's, that can be a game changer as I'm sure you've seen of things that, making the, what we say, making the invisible visible to be able to address these things and then start to blend that in with, okay, well, I saw this in the assessment that now makes sense of why this is happening. And maybe this is a bigger contributor to why you're not performing as well or why your back hurts or your elbow hurts or any of those things. Yep. Absolutely. Speaking of back and elbow stuff too, is I know you had mentioned when we were talking that those are some of the 
some of the two big, big areas that people tend to come in with? Is there, are there common causes of this or common mistakes that people are making that are contributing to these things, either in the training side of things or the swing side of things? Yeah, I think, you know, the lower back is, is just the most common, right? Whether that's overuse or, you know, previous injury or, or things like that. And, um, with the lower back, usually we're looking at the areas above and below it because, um, the lower back is really not supposed to rotate that much in the swing, but everyone thinks it is the rotation comes from the thoracic spine, which is right, right above your lower back and your hips, which are right, right below your lower back. And the problem is that these segments get stiff just with our, you know, sitting, driving, sitting at a desk, those segments get stiff. And then, you know, when we go to rotate in our swing, we, we hit our range of motion barrier at our hip or at our thoracic spine, but we try to get into more backswing rotation just because that's going to create more power for us. But what we end up doing is compensate with, with lumbar motion and, and that's where the pain is from. So a lot of times when I'm treating a lower back, I'm, I'm not actually treating the lower back. I'm working on the thoracic spine and the hips and opening up those two areas really takes a lot of pressure off the lower back. And then we talked about the elbow with an overuse injury. A lot of times it's someone that's working on something really trying to get better. And it's, it's more of a volume problem and, um, you know, hitting off of mats at an increased volume is just going to predispose someone to injury because, when you hit the ground, you, you take a divot, right? So the ground actually gives a little bit versus when you hit a mat, there's kind of that kickback. It doesn't give as much as the ground does. And, you know, if you amplify that, someone goes and hits a hundred balls three days in a row, my elbow is probably going to hurt too. Right. Um, so a lot of times it's, it's volume related or mechanics, which a golf coach, um, would, would be happy to help somebody with. I don't really get into that too much. Um, and then another big thing is grip strength. So, uh, professional golfers have outstanding grip strength. Like I think PGA tour average is almost 130 pounds of force on, on grip strength. And, um, a right-handed golfer usually has a stronger left-hand grip just because that's their lead arm. So, amateurs you know we i i'm right-handed i do everything right-handed my right grip strength is better than my left so um, that's another reason why elbow injuries could happen is because you know a, a professional golfers maybe gripping the club at you know 50 60 percent well that's that's kind of our 100 percent, right so we, we're we're like gripping the heck out of these clubs so a lot of times we're working on on grip strength too for elbow injuries yeah, that's, that's good. And I know you mentioned there a, a golf coach too. That was another question I had of what's the kind of, what's the balance between seeking a, someone who understands golf in terms of the training side of things and the golf coach side of things. So I think, and I'm not super immersed in the, in the golfing world, but I'm guessing a lot of people, their first go-to is probably a golf coach of, Oh, if I want to hit the ball further, I'm going to go see a golf coach. Do you, do you find that to be the case? And And what's the balance between a, a solid training program and seeing a good golf coach. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely the first person they go to, um, is, is a golf coach. And that's actually who I try to create a lot of my relationships with because they're seeing them first. Right. And, um, it's honestly really important to have both. Um, you know, even if they came to me first and I got their, we're talking about elbows. I got their grip strength to 130 pounds, right? They've got the strongest forearms in the world, <laughs> but their mechanics are still off. Their elbow still might hurt. So when I'm done with them, okay, they need to go back to the golf coach and make sure that their mechanics are okay because they might have all the mobility that they need. They might have all the strength that they need, but if they're not doing this, the swing correctly, or if their mechanics are more likely to predispose them to pain. That's something that they need to work on with the golf coach because that's not really what I do. And, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to these golf coaches, it, that's really important for me to say to them because I am looking at their swing, but I don't want them to think that I'm teaching them golf. Right. Because then they're not going to send anybody to me. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think knowing 
that you guys can work so well together too. And that's a little bit of a leading question, but knowing the benefit of both and the golf coaches and trying to even a knowledgeable golf coach might be able to see something and say, Hey, I'm guessing you have some glute weakness. You should do some bridges, but they're not crossing over the line if they're not writing up full exercise programs. If those issues persist, or if the things aren't responding to that, it's okay to give a simple fix for you on the swing side of things or for them on the exercise side of things, but knowing where that, that line is and knowing how well those, those things work together. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that TPI has done really well is they really are stressing a team approach. So, um, you know, it, it might not be for everyone in terms of financial reasons to have a golf coach and a fitness professional and a medical professional, but, um, at least kind of, having somebody that can refer you to the right person and, and staying in your lane and, and, and really having a team approach is more efficient. It's better for the, for the client too. And and they're just going to get better results because everyone's doing what they're really good at and not trying to fill in these voids that really aren't what they're, what they know how to do. Yeah. It's a, a good point in being able to, when you, when you have the availability to, or at least finding if maybe only one of those is reasonable, finding someone who's at least open to that approach that knows if you're not the right fit for working with them, that they can send you in the right direction. And and just having someone that you can trust in your corner, I think is a big piece of that too. Definitely. Definitely. You have, you have to know when you're not right for somebody, right. And know who to send them to, or at least give them a recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think the, I mean, I think we hit on a lot of good things from the golf specific side of things. What are some of the, I guess, what are some of the mental psychological other sides of whether that's rehab or performance that you tend to run into with the people you're working with that people might benefit from hearing in terms of maybe they have the physical stuff down is there stuff from whether it be accountability or, or sticking to a program or being able to get past plateaus what are what are some of the other sides of the the non-physical sides that you're working with and educating people on yeah a big one that that usually happens pretty early on is um you know maybe not being able to play as much as they'd like like we were talking about a volume issue and and they all they want to do is is get better at at golf And, and you know it doesn't have to be just thinking about golf, but anybody that's really trying to get better at something that that's passionate about something, it's, well, I, I want to go hit balls five days a week and hit a hundred balls because that's how I'm going to be the best golfer. And it's like, well, we'll get you there and you don't have to stop completely. Like maybe let's go every other day and get you really strong. And then that will put you in a position to be able to, you know, golf as much as you want going forward. So I think educating on, maybe stepping back a little bit is kind of a mental barrier that I have to cross with a lot of people. And, um, you know, that can, that can be applied to really, really anything. I just, I think, like I said, golfers are an interesting breed in that they, they want to do anything they can to get better, you know? And I know you're big on warm up and cool down stuff. Do you strategically use some of that in there to, and I don't want to say like, we're like, we're trying to purposely trick someone into doing something, but if you can mix some work into, the warm up and cool down and what that might look like to help them address some of these common things, but also get ready for, for the sport. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, if, if they want to dedicate an hour every day, right. Well, okay. You don't have to hit balls for an hour. Let's do 10 minutes of mobility work, some resistance training. And then, you know, if you're hitting balls for, for 30 minutes instead of an hour, that's going to help too. Um, Another strategy you can take with, with volume, like we talked about, hitting into mats is well if you hit driver off a tee that's that's not hitting the mat so let's take 10 iron swings hitting into the mat and then hit five drivers so you know then you're not even necessarily changing the number of balls they hit as much as just how much they're impacting the ground right so that's another strategy that you can take i love your approach i love how much education is is woven into it and i don't know if you even realize you do it but there's a lot of things that I wouldn't even ever think of. And I'm, I'm sure the people you work with fall into the, the same category of, oh yeah, that totally makes sense that I shouldn't hit a hundred balls in a row off the map. But those are things that I think if we get caught in our 
we get so, would you say you see people get so hyper-focused on one area that they can lose sight of, of some of these other areas and this can apply to golf and, and other areas, I'm sure. But do you, do you run into that with the people you're working with? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's like, well, I didn't even think of that. Well, you're, you're not supposed to, like, it's, you're, you're a lawyer, you're an accountant, you're a realtor. Like <laughs> I don't really, you know, think about why the house market is this way, but I'm not a realtor, right? I'm a, I'm a golf physical therapist. It's my job to think of this stuff. And, um, but there's just, you know, they're just trying to, trying to get better at golf. You know, they, they just want to beat their friend this weekend on the course and they're not thinking about this stuff, but just a little bit of education. I mean, it goes such a long way. Yeah, that's, that's a well said. And people, people sometimes get, they beat themselves up a little bit. They're like, I can't believe I, that's so simple. I didn't think of that. It's like, well, when you get so dialed in on this one thing of like, I'm working on this one club that I can't hit or this one thing, it's easy to miss the hundred other things that are what we call low hanging fruit of things that are easy to work on that can create a big return though. And it, sometimes it takes us getting out of our own heads to be able to see that. Yeah. And you know, like someone who, uh, let's say they had a hip replacement and they're not cleared to, to play golf yet. And they're kind of down in the dumps. And I'm like, well, you got six weeks to be the best putter in the world. <laughs> like, awesome. So they're, you know, there's, they're still working on their golf game. Like, like where before they, they probably wouldn't have, they probably would have just thought, Oh, I can't, I can't play golf for six weeks. Well, you can go putt. So just, you know, if you come back and you're a worse putter than you were six weeks ago, then, <laughs> then something's wrong. <laughs> Got to, got to re, uh, reframe the approach a little bit or re work on, work on something else. Yeah, exactly. For the, for the everyday or not the, maybe not the everyday golfer isn't the best way to put it for the everyday person who's looking to just play golf recreationally, what things can they apply from, from this talk of, from training, from golf swings of someone, even like myself of, I enjoy golfing. I'm not good by any means. I enjoy going out every once in a while. What would, what kind of things would I have to keep in mind of, okay, I just want to play a little better and I don't want to get hurt. Are there some easy starting points from the training or from the golf side of things that you can give for people? Yeah, I think, you know, for just the, the regular amateur golfer, it just takes some time to invest in your body, right? Like they're, they're so ready to go buy the new driver that comes out because they think it's going to get them 10, 15 yards on their, on their shot, which, which it may. But if you spend some time on your body every day for the next six months, like that's going to get you more than any club could. Right. And the, the body is one of the tools that you use every time you play every swing, every putt, everything. So just taking some time to invest in that and get evaluated, get a program that you can stick to. Um, that's going to go such a long way, no matter where the technology with clubs and balls and everything go. So would you say maybe an underemphasis on the taking care of our bodies and the physical training for people looking to get into golf a little more and be able to play for the long term? Yeah. I, I, you mean people aren't doing it enough? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or at all, just spend a little bit of time on that. It's going to go a long way. And do you, do you tend to prioritize for someone that's short on time mobility versus strength, or do you mix these into, into one approach? Usually mobility is something that we're working on first, because just with the population that I work with, there's always some mobility restrictions. And, you know, if you can open them up a little bit more five degrees or so, it's, it's going to get them so much more, but, you know, then once we've gained that mobility, it might shift into improving your strength through that new range that you've never used. Right. So it, it kind of depends on when I, where we're at in this stage of working with them. But earlier on, I would say there's probably more of a focus on mobility than, than strength. Yeah. And I, it, they, they go hand in hand, but uh, for, for the common person being able to, if you're fighting mobility limitations, no amount of strength work will allow you to get into a better position in the golf swing. Same thing. If your hips and ankles are so tight, no amount of squatting through that is going to all of a sudden put you in a better position. Yeah. Add, you can't really add a ton of stability when it's a mobility problem, right? Like you, you got to get 
that range that you need to be able to swing comfortably before you get strong through that position. Yeah, totally. What are you personally working on? Are are you training for golf specifically, or do you have other other stuff you're training for right now? I'm just curious as someone who's has your knowledge and background on on the golf side of things, is your is your training look more geared towards golf or is it more to the general fitness side of things? Well, recently we were actually training for a half marathon. So that was totally different. I mean, a lot of running in there. Uh, it's just something fun to change up and do. And since gyms were all closed down, it was, it was a nice thing to train for. So, um, but we're, we're done with that. So now I need to program for myself going forward. And, um, you know, my, my normal programming will, will look a lot like a, just a general kind of strengthening type program. And then, um, I will add my golf specific quote unquote exercises into that, whether that, you know, throwing med balls against the wall or the anti-rotation exercises that we talked about and just making sure I'm, I'm strong in the areas that I need to be, to be able to swing fast and, and, not get hurt while I'm playing, not get an overuse type injury. So, um, that's generally what my programming would look like, but for the past three, four months, we've, we've been running a lot. <laughs> is that race still on? It is not. It's moved, moved uh, several months out. So I don't know. We have to make a decision if we want to kind of pause for now and pick up the training in a few months or, or just, say we had a good run and transition to something else. Now. Yeah. I know where I'd go with it, but I'm not a, I'm not a runner. So I used to be Yeah, back, back in the soccer days. I'm sure. Yeah. No, this is, this is awesome on the, on the golf stuff. And I, I, and there's a lot more we can, we can talk on the golf specifics, but the reason I started this podcast and, and with each of the episodes wanted to be a a heavy dose of health, fitness, practical things for someone, especially with a lot of active professionals out there. Golfing can be a, can be either a fun hobby or some people it's, it's something they're investing more into, but also want it to be more about a place where we can talk about some of the other struggles outside of health and fitness, some of the other challenges we face, some of the other, you know, mental roadblocks and things we have to, to work through. And I, I know people looking at you from the outside, they see successful business and wife working with you and these cool things going on and the athletic background and all these things. And it's easy to follow along on social media and, and think, wow, he's got it all together, super successful, everything's going on. And we, you know, you and I would both be the first to admit that that's not the case. We've, we've struggled with our share of things and plenty of challenges and roadblocks to have to overcome. And I'd, I'd appreciate if you'd, if you'd be open to being real with the listeners and sharing either a, a current challenge you're working through or a past challenge you've had to work through. That's been a big catalyst for you as uh, your growth as a man and as an individual. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's one of the reasons I was excited for this podcast in particular is because you get into this stuff and, you know, I, I had one thought initially and I, I have two now and I'll, I'll share both of them. I think, you know, um, something that people can relate to if they're listening to it around the same time of the podcast, you know, we're, we are going through this whole COVID situation and, um, we started our business in March of 2019. So, you know, not quite a year and a half ago. And, you know, we were, we, we hit our one year mark and we were taking stride and, you know, our, our practice was growing. We were, transitioning my wife in everything was going great and then boom we like shut down for six weeks and um you know we we made the decision we didn't have to close we are an essential business but just for the kind of protection of our our clients and, our, and ourselves actually we we closed and we've been opening back up the last couple of weeks but it was honestly something that internally i was like struggling with i mean i'm sure you remember your first year in, in business and starting your own business and you're like just dealing with rejection of referral partners that are busy and they don't want to meet with you. And, you know, it's like, well, you just keep pushing forward. Right. And, you know, things are, once you hit that year mark, things finally kind of start together, uh, start to come together for you. You know, someone that maybe didn't want to meet six months ago is now meeting and sending people. And, um, then, you know, all of a sudden everything boom was just like 
shut on pause. And um, I guess it, it, it would have been easy to kind of just sit and pout and, and wait for everything to like blow over. And I think now by the looks of it, it's probably not going to blow over anytime soon. So we just took the opportunity to kind of adapt and um, we decided to add a, an additional kind of revenue stream with our online coach platform and that's you know that's something that we can have as an additional revenue stream going forward and you know that was not by ourselves it was with the help of a lot of other people but you know surrounding yourself with people that that support you and and have done things before you and it's it's really important and um you know i think if we were just kind of complacent and it's like well we worked hard for a year and like this will all kind of blow over and, you know, we'll, we'll pick it back up. I think, you know, that, that can be pretty dangerous and you, you, it all comes down to what, what motivates you, you know, like what, why are you doing the things that you're doing? And for me, it's being able to kind of provide for my wife and future kids. And, you know, that's, that's not going to be the case for everyone, but you got to have something, right. Something that kind of pushes you to, to go forward. And, um, you know, some, the stronger, you are and the more confident you are in why you're doing something, I think the more successful you're going to be going forward. That's so great. Do you want to, did you want to share that you said a second thing too? Is that, was that both yeah. inside in there? No, I got one more. It's just something that I was kind of thinking about and it's come up a few times recently is that something that I, I struggle with, with my stress level is, you know, not letting things that I can't control affect me and, um, you know, it's something I've been working on and, um, just focusing on the things that I can control. And, you know, for us, it's especially someone that's looking to grow and scale a business. It's something that you need to be okay with. You need to be able to let, let go of things and, you know, hire the right people and trust them to kind of step up and take over some of your jobs. And, um, I just think personally, that's, that's something that, um, affects my stress level and the, the better I'm at it letting other people do what they need to do and just focusing on what I can do. It, it, it helps me move forward much better. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I know it's something that I can relate with the control issues of, of running a business. And as we hired our office manager, and then as I brought my wife on, it's all these things that, you know, you need to let go of, but it's hard because we, we falsely think we can do all these things so great just because we're used to doing them. We've had to do, everything. And, uh, that's just not the case. And then once you can let go of those things, you start realizing like, Hey, they, they do it a lot better than I do. And it's nice to not, not have to, to do these things, but it doesn't, I, I still struggle with the control side of things and especially the things that don't go our way. And that's, that's one of the toughest things of these expectations. You look forward to this thing and some, someone you're really excited to work with, and then they cancel and they never contact you again. And you, it just, you're like, Oh, it seemed like such a perfect connection and what happened. And it's easy to, to kind of ruminate on those things a little bit, but, and, and that's just one example of, of many, but funny how those things usually turn out to be something that some kind of, of, uh, of good comes from it, of, if it opens up more time to take on something else or take on someone else that ends up, uh, being an influential person in our life. And I think those things are, if we can step back and see those things are, are awesome, but, you and I both know how challenging that is in the, in the day-to-day side of things. Definitely. Especially when you're used to doing everything, like it's, it's, it's hard to think that someone can be possibly be better than you at something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. And then I find out most of the things that I, that I pass off and of getting done quite a bit better. So <laughs> that's awesome. So I want to, want to wrap up with a couple of things here. First want to give a couple of the uh, three of the key takeaways from it. Some of the things I highlighted and I'll, I want to hear what you have to add, if anything, uh, from the end of it. But uh, I loved from the golf side of things, we talked about the foundational training over golf specific training and not that one is more important than the other, but a lot of people skip too quick to golf specific training before building up the proper foundations of squatting and deadlifting and bench press and grip strength and just some of the the basic foundational principles. We talked about uh, progression and form. So both knowing when to progress, not staying on any program for too long if you need to progress through that, but also not progressing too quickly and making sure that your form is good and that you're appropriate to progress with that. 
And then I also love what you said about having a, a team approach and this applies to whether it's, whether it's golf, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's just trying to get fit, stay healthy, whether it's business, having a, a team approach is something that uh, a team approach and a trusting atmosphere is something that can allow us to uh, get so much further than, than we could on our own. So those are kind of the three things I highlighted. Anything you want to add to that, Kev? I think those were, were three, three really good ones. You know, I was going through my head, what, what would I say? And <laughs> those were pretty similar. I think, you know, it's something that we just recently touched on surrounding yourself with people that are supporting you and trying to go in the same direction as you, regardless of what it is, is super important too. Yeah. Spot on. No, no, I loved it. And I want to close with one hypothetical scenario here where we're, where we're closing our show up for everyone. And let's say you're leaving a coffee shop and you bump into younger Kevin of 10 years back. So younger Kevin asks current Kevin for some life advice. You're on your way to a super important meeting. You only have 60 seconds to talk with him. What advice are you giving him and what are you saying to him? Younger Kevin. <laughs> now I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at today and I, I wouldn't really try and like change anything about my past. But, um, I think one thing that I would stress is, you know, some things are going to happen that may seem terrible at, at the current time that they happen. And, just know that it all happens for a reason. You'll find that, you know, some experiences that, that seem really negative in the present, they end up being for the best down the road and just continue to adapt and, and better yourself and push forward and, and everything will work out for the best. Love it, Kevin. That's uh, words we all need to hear. So appreciate you sharing that. Uh, let's finish up. Where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you, if they're looking for a golf specialist? I know you're doing some for the local people as well as the digital programming stuff you guys are working on? Yeah. So our website is impactptp.com. That's for PT and performance. And Instagram is impact underscore PTP. And you can, you know, direct message me on there or, you know, email Kevin at impactptp.com, any of those places and, and I'll respond. That's awesome, Kevin. We'll put that in the in the show description there for anyone that wants to link for it. But Kevin, thanks for the knowledge today. It was a lot of fun and getting into some of the other things uh, not golf related as well. I appreciate you sharing all that and really good time having you on here. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Of course, Kevin. Guys, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Sharpening Strength Podcast. I hope you found today's show valuable and that you have some actionable strategies you can apply to your life today. If this is your first time listening, thanks for being here. If you enjoyed the podcast and found it helpful, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. These subscriptions and reviews help other like-minded men discover the podcast and take the next step in leveling up their life. If you're a regular listener, I can't thank you enough for investing in yourself in this show. Please make sure to share this with a friend or to post on social media and tag me with your favorite part from today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to join the Strong Living for Men Facebook group to be part of a community of like-minded men looking to level up their lives. Keep sharpening your strength in all areas of your life. Thanks for listening and see you guys next week.